Imagine having a bra that you actually want to wear. And maybe this seems inconceivable if you don't already own a bra by today's sponsor, Honey Love, which has transformed the bra game. With Honey Love, say goodbye to underwire and bulky fabrics that trap heat. Honey Love is so comfortable, you may even forget that you're wearing it. Now is the time to spring clean your bra drawer. For a limited time only, you can get Honey Love on sale. Get 20% off your entire order with our exclusive link, honeylove.com slash birthful. Support our show and check them out at honeylove.com forward slash birthful. Now, currently, I have been very partial to my Honey Love Silhouette bra. It is super soft and it has these really lovely 3D printed velvet details that actually add support. And I can even crisscross the straps in the back. Also, like all of Honey Love's bras, it features supportive bonding that eliminates the need for underwire without sacrificing lift. I can tell you I'm never in a rush to take it off. Plus, Honey Love also has incredibly comfortable shapewear, matching underwear, tanks, and leggings for everyday support. Treat yourself to the best bras on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com birthful. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off at honeylove.com birthful. And after you purchase, they're going to ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them Birthful sent you. Treat yourself to honey love. I'm a huge fan of preparation and prevention, and one of the most impactful and immediate ways to influence maternal and infant health is through nourishing nutrition. But honestly, when was the last time any of your providers had a meaningful conversation with you about eating habits and prenatal supplements? Prioritizing nutrition can truly change perinatal health for the better, which is why when talking about prenatal supplements, I'm proud to partner with Needed. They've redesigned the prenatal vitamin from the ground up based on the latest clinical research and in-practice experience of testing thousands of pregnant people's nutrient levels to know what they actually needed, not just to meet some bare minimum needs. And what I always tell my clients is that even though they're called prenatal vitamins, you should continue to take supplements during postpartum and beyond because your body still needs so much nutritional support. I love that at Needed, they understand this and have different plans to make it easy for you to meet your optimal micronutrient, microbiome, and protein needs. They have a fertility support plan, a plan for each of the four trimesters, and a lactation support plan, just to name a few. Needed is recommended by nearly 4,000 doctors, midwives, doulas, and nutritionists, and is proud to be the first perinatal nutrition company that's B Corp and climate neutral certified. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. (laughs) 
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's birth stories are with Kristen Bowles. For her second VBAC, Kristen was almost sent home from the hospital when she wasn't progressing past two centimeters after more than four hours. As they were getting ready to leave, her water broke, and then she went from four centimeters to pushing unexpectedly fast, even though she was sitting on the edge of the bed about to get an epidural. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thank you, as always, for all the love you give this show. And if what you hear is helpful, you know what to do. Subscribe. It's free. That way you won't miss a thing. Excellent. So Kristen Bulls is here to share about her birth stories, but specifically about her second VBAC, which went swimmingly even though her mind was not quite catching up with what her body was doing. And I cannot wait to hear all about it. Here we go. Welcome, Kristen. I am very excited to hear your stories today. Hi. Yay. Thank you for wanting to share. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Um, now, before we get into your stories, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so my name is Kristen Bowles, and I'm 32 years old. We live in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, I've been married um, to my husband, Ryan, for 10 years, and we have three daughters. Um, Paige, she's four, Rebecca's two, and Mackenzie is two months old. And before I had kids, I was a um, high school math teacher for about six years. And then um, once we had Paige, um, we decided together that I would stay at home, and I just I've loved it ever since. Um, it's hard <laughs> and fun and chaotic all at the same time, but I just have loved getting to spend that time with my daughters. Very cool. And um, I know you have, so you've done two VBACs. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first one was a cesarean. Let's take you back to that, to when you were, you know, just pregnant with Paige. And what were your thoughts about birth and what were your wishes? How did you prepare? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I guess being a first time mom, I didn't know too much. And we went to like a hospital class about childbirth and they went through all the different scenarios and I'd hired a doula. Um, and you know, going into, I did want to go natural and to have a vaginal birth. Um, but things did not work out that way. So I was, um, I guess about five days early with Paige and my water broke, but it was like a trickle breaking. And because I was group strep B positive, my doctor wanted me to go into the hospital um, to start that antibiotic. And so that kind of put me on a timeline of um, at least for my practice, once you get in, they want you to deliver within 24 hours to reduce the risk of, I guess, infection to you or the baby. And so I wasn't progressing and had to start Pitocin, and it was very intense. I made some progress, but I just mentally wasn't ready for that intensity of contractions and had an epidural, felt more like myself at that point, um, was still progressing, made it, I guess at this point it had been 20, 24 hours, and um, I was 100% effaced, you know, 10 centimeters, and they let me push and I pushed for a couple hours, which I'm surprised they let me go that long. Um, and she still was really high up. I don't remember the exact number, but she wasn't uh, descending into the pelvis. 
and it was very discouraging. And so the nurse or doctor said they'd give me another hour to push and I could have the hour or go for a cesarean at that point. Um, and after 24 hours and pushing that long, I was done (laughs) mentally and physically. So I had a C-section, um, it was crying going into it. It was really hard to um, kind of accept that that's what was the best thing that was going to happen. Um, she came out fine, was beautiful. Uh, mentally, I kind of had to just wrap my head around that that was the best <laughs> um, birth story for her. So then when I had Rebecca, my second one, um, the doctors were very optimistic that I could try for a VBAC, and they didn't know why. Paige wasn't descending the first one. And so again, they were going to let me try as long as nothing came up. Um, they didn't know if it was her head, my pelvis, her position. And so I hired, um, the natural baby doulas in our area and specifically Jessica Bauer. And she was really optimistic that Paige had gotten stuck or they called it failure to descend because of her position. And so going into then Rebecca's, Towards the end, we did some more things to help optimize, I guess that's the word, her position. Um, Yeah, yeah, optimal positioning. Yeah. Uh, So I tried to gain a little bit less weight to see if she could be smaller. Uh, I think Paige was like 8'6". And um, what else? The mile circuit at the end, trying to work on her positioning, uh, going to a chiropractor, uh, keeping up with prenatal yoga, exercising. I was trying to do all the things. And so going into her birth, I knew it was still possible to have a C-section if that's what happened. Um, but I really wanted to experience the VBAC, her coming out and being able to hold her, cut the cord, <coughs> um, breastfeed in a relaxed environment instead of a recovery room. Um, and it, it did, it all worked out. Um, the contractions were, I guess, about five minutes apart when we went in. And when I went in, I guess it had been a couple hours I had labored at home. And when I had checked into the hospital, I was six centimeters dilated. And so <clears throat> Jessica was really encouraged my doula that I would be able to have uh, be back and that things were progressing. And so... And were you feeling that because <clears throat> this was a very different... Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, start to to this this labor. So were you feeling, yeah, I'm six centimeters and, and encouraged about that and uh, as opposed to how things were so managed for the first one? Yes, yeah. I felt like this was my body um, initiating it and kind of just going, like trusting my body instead of the first one. I felt like it was just more... Um, medicine driven because nothing was happening on my own. And so that was encouraging. I do remember though, I did turn to Jessica and I said, so how much longer will this take? And she said, I, I don't know. I can't tell you that. Um, but it ended up being two hours later, which is still pretty quick. Yeah. So two hours later, she was born. How mm-hmm. long did you push? Um, I think minutes. I think the only thing they ran into was like uh, her head still what I mean it was coming down but it was her heart rate was dropping so they had to use the vacuum so I think they had to stop me in the middle to get that set up and kind of work it all together 
Um, but yeah, it was very quickly. Mm -hmm. And did you feel so from when you st when labor started to when she was born, how long roughly was that? I think a total of seven hours. Uh, we were at the hospital for two and the worst was in transition, <laughs> um, which still, I guess, happened pretty quickly, um, probably within an hour of getting to the hospital. Um, and that's when my water broke was at transition. Like oh, okay. 20, 20 minutes before she was born. Did you find that when the water broke, things really ramped up? Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I felt like things were already ramped up. <laughs> I was throwing up, shaking. I think she said the water broke on the bath, pot toilet, which she suggested was a good place to labor anyways, even though I felt like I had to pee. And we didn't know until later that that's what the water was breaking. I don't. It just seemed like... Lots of things were happening out of places, and I didn't know until later that that's what had happened. Gotcha. Did you feel it was easy to like center or in your, in, you know, stay on top of what was going on with your body and go internal and flow with that? Or was it more like, I'm just being carried away, but it's my body doing it all? Yeah, I would say with Rebecca's birth, I felt um, more like I could. Uh, center on what was happening. I kind of just internalized things. So I shut down and just am silent. Um, but Jessica, my doula and my husband, Ryan, were really good about, you know, still they can tell my shoulders would tense up. And so relax that my face would tense up and trying to relax that even though I wasn't saying anything, they could just see it. Um, I think at the only point where I was like, this is crazy and out of my control is that transition period of like, I can't do this. But um, the doula is really encouraging of like, you're so close, you know, it's just one step closer to holding your baby. And that is what um, encouraged me that. And she was like, you're going to do this. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to be able to um, have a V back and to experience that. Mm -hmm. And before you got into it during preparation, because it's a big jump going from a cesarean to a VBAC, did you do any um, any different classes, any research? Like, how do you think you got yourself prepared for a VBAC? Yeah, um, I think through my doula, she had the statistics of um, just the percentage of the risk. The more cesareans you have back to back, your risk is higher. Um, I guess, for complications. And if you have a VBAC, then your chances of having another VBAC increase. And um, the risk, I guess, with a VBAC is um, the ruptured uterus, which is, is real, but it's still a small percentage. Um, and so we just kind of, my husband and I, my doula together, looked at the pros and cons and what I wanted um, and we all felt comfortable with and so I think that's how we made our decision. Mm -hmm. And were you with the same practice um, that you were initially? Yes. I, uh, with all three pregnancies, I was with the same practice. So they're very VBAC friendly. Again, I was a healthy person. Uh, my baby was healthy all the way through. And so their idea was until something comes up, you know, you're low risk, everything's 
looks great. Um, so t- until you try, we don't know um, whether or not it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And were, I, I know I've got so many questions, but were you GB- <laughs> GBS positive for that one as well? Yes, I was with all three. Okay. So I don't know why. So I knew that was also uh, if uh, we wanted my body to go in naturally, um, that that would make it uh, more probable to have a VBAC. Uh, so that was a fear of mine that I didn't want my water to break and nothing to happen again because um, that would mean Pitocin, which you can still have a VBAC being induced. Um, but I just wanted to decrease any, um, anything that could interfere. Yeah. And that's a hard one because, you know, you can't really control when your water breaks. Right. Um, but then she came so fast, I still didn't get the antibiotics. So we (laughs) had to stay two days anyways, but it's all fine. Yeah. Yeah. Better than the alternative. Yes. Yes. Um, So let's take a quick break and then we'll get to the third story. We'll be right back. Did you know that Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths per day? That is so many breaths. Now, according to the EPA, the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, up to a hundred times more polluted. So then what is the solution for cleaner indoor air? For me, it's Air Doctor and their line of superb air purifiers that have captured the attention of established media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and many more. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so that your lungs don't have to. This includes all kinds of pollutants, such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses that can make you sick. Plus, Air Doctor comes with a 30-day Breathe Easy money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code BIRTHFALL to receive up to $300 off air purifiers. And exclusive to podcast listeners, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O dot com so airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code birthful and we are back talking with Kristen Bowles about her birth stories and she um, was just telling her about her first cesarean and her first feedback and so then yeah what so what happened next like you had your two kids and then now you're pregnant are you, did you prepare anything differently from the preparation tour that way back? Um, well, this may be where I uh, described that uh, there was no preparation because we did not think that we were going to have another child. <laughs> um, we had always decided we wanted two kids. And so I was on the pill, which I had been before in between pregnancies. And again, afterwards, the regular or the mini and then the regular pill. And so 
even on the pill, my periods were irregular. Um, so every three or four months, I'd switch to a different type and still wasn't getting um, consistency. And so I talked to my doctor about getting an IUD put in. And this whole time, my husband was ready to be done. I sold all the clothes. Um, and I got the IUD put in that morning. And they they go through a series of questions. And so one of them is, you know, are you on your period, which they want you to be. And I wasn't. Um, and my last period had been five weeks, but I was on the pill consistently. And so they decided that, you know, there was no chance of being pregnant, but they didn't test. And um, I hadn't had unprotected sex, obviously, because I was on the pill. And so they put it in and I just could not, something felt wrong um, and I couldn't break it. And I definitely say it's a God thing. Uh, later that afternoon, I took my two girls to the pharmacy, got a pregnancy test and tested at home. And I was, um, the pregnancy test was positive. And so I called the OB back. I didn't even call my husband. And I said, I need to come in. I had this IUD put in this morning and I'm pregnant and <laughs> I need to get it out. Um, cause I knew your chances of having a miscarriage, um, increase if you have an IUD and you're pregnant. And so I went in and they just, it was a Friday afternoon, they were about to close and they couldn't believe that I was pregnant. And um, they got it taken out. My husband came to get the girls and we just were shaking and scared. Um, and they took it out. They said everything looked good, but they still didn't know um, kind of what had happened. And so it took um, two more weeks and we finally heard the heartbeat. And it was a sigh of relief, but it wasn't something that we were ready for. Um, and so it definitely took some time to process um, that and then prepare our hearts and our minds, not only for another birth, but also another child um, that we weren't expecting. And so that just kind of rocked our world uh, last fall. Yeah. I mean, that's totally, well, you were getting an IUD. You're like, no, I just, this is not what I, yes. my intention is for sure. Yeah. Uh, and you said at that time you'd gotten your period five weeks before. Yes. Um, so then when they, te like, what, do you know how far along you were in the pregnancy at that point, looking back? Uh, no, I had no idea. <laughs> they had to take, once they could get an ultrasound um, to kind of estimate. Um, but yeah, I was so surprised they didn't test either. Now looking back at the time, it all made sense to me, but yeah. Right. And it's so good that you were like, yeah, this is something's off. I need to test this myself. Yes. Yes. I'm so glad because it could have gone totally different. So then, <laughs> how did you do that mental shift and wrap your head around the fact that you were going to be a family of five and not four? Right. Um, through a lot of prayer, um, talking to other moms that had three kids and that they were okay <laughs> and reading books. I, I remember reading blogs and books about people that had surprise children and that it wasn't that they didn't want the child. It just took this mental shift. And so it helped me recognize feelings that I had of like, this is not something I want, but it is at the same time. So um, just to kind of be okay with, to mourn the fact of our family's not going to look like how we want it to be, but there's still joy and blessing in it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that seems like it was a big adjustment for you because you were having a lot of, do you feel you were having a lot of mixed feelings of like guilt and, and maybe even oh, anger yeah. or like what was going, I don't want to put feelings in yeah, your mind. No. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. I mean, at first when I had to call my husband at the OB and say I tested, I did a pregnancy test at home, I felt really guilty um, having to tell him that. And I was scared and um, he was reassuring. Obviously it was <laughs> the two of us and it will be okay, but it's still not um, going to be easy. And there's, um, I think just throughout the pregnancy, hearing the heartbeat, seeing her at that anatomy ultrasound, um, feeling her move. Those were milestones that I guess with the others I experienced, but this time around it seemed more, um, to mean more to me of like, she's really in there and she's going to be a part of our family and it's okay. Um, this time around, those feelings seem to connect more to me. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so then how did this, uh, this labor start? Uh, so this one started a couple days before I um, got an adduction massage, which I did as well with my second VBAC. Um, there's a lady here in town and she has like really high, I think it's 70 something percentage of her clients um, go into labor within 48 hours and it worked with Rebecca. And so I was willing to try again. And um, I think I scheduled it two days before she was due. And so that night I started feeling back pain again, um, not feeling well, but I also didn't want to psych myself up that something was happening. And I, I went home. I think we got home from dinner. I went straight to bed. <laughs> I was like, I'm just done. And I woke up feeling contractions and my husband had just gone to bed. So I let him sleep and started timing them. Um, and they were, I guess, about five, six minutes apart. And so after about an hour of it, I called my doula to let her know. And she said to try changing positions, taking a shower, things like that, just to make sure that it was going to stay consistent instead of dissipate, which it was. And so after an hour or two, I could woke my husband up. We decided to go to the hospital. And another concern was after Rebecca's VBAC that was still pretty quick, we wanted to get there in time to maybe get enough antibiotics because I was group strip B positive again and knew that if you have a fast labor, you could also have another uh, or a faster one the second time around. Right. Yeah. What time was this around that that you woke him up and, and made your way to the hospital? Uh, yeah. So it was about midnight. Uh, so we went in. Uh, I'm trying to think now. Uh I think we went in about two in the morning. So after a couple hours being at home and we still live, I mean, we live minutes away from the hospital. So it wasn't a big deal to go. Right. Um, and so when you got there, <laughs> did they do like antibiotics first? Did they check like what, how, yeah. how far along were you? Uh, so I was still, they checked me out still two centimeters, which I had been for two weeks. <laughs> and um, they cannot start the antibiotics for group strep B until you're admitted. And uh, my water had not broken. 
And so they put me in triage and I was then waiting to see how things were progressing. And the, um, once they did all the vitals, the nurse said she'd be back in 15 minutes to check to see how I was progressing. And it had been like an hour, hour and a half until she returned. And we were getting very frustrated and anxious. Um, we could see the contractions. I could feel them. I was fine in between, but when they were happening, it was painful. Um, they were three to five minutes apart, but I was still managing my pain well. Um, again, kind of just focusing in and quieting down. And so when she came back and checked, she maybe gave me another half centimeter, but said nothing was happening and would talk to my doctor that was on call. And it was discouraging because I guess with my first feedback, when I went into the hospital, I was already so far along at six centimeters. And here I was having contractions for hours and not having any progress. And um, yeah, so it was frustrating. Yeah. And though, but it seems like mentally you were trying to get to the hospital earlier just right. for, to make sure she got the antibiotics for the GBS. So you didn't have right. to stay there two days. So yes. it made sense you were there earlier. It's just, you know, it feels like it was the external things of being checked and being checked again and like, oh, you're not progressing, you know, trying to impose or having your labor look in a specific way. Right. They, um, I, I don't know the details, but I imagined the nurses or doctors are looking for a certain criteria to admit you. I can't get the antibiotics, so I'm admitted. And so here I am in this just waiting period. And the Jessica Majula made a good point is, hey, even if you were to be admitted now and you're not making progress, then your chances of getting Pitocin increase if, if they want to see you progress and you're admitted and you're not progressing. Or um, let's say they discharge you and you go home, then either they're going to dissipate, go away, and you're going to get some sleep or they're going to increase or your water's going to break. And so we were just kind of trying to talk through, hey, this is where we're at what are the kind of the different scenarios that could happen now at this point? Yeah. And I was going to ask you if anybody had suggested you go home or were you considering that as a possibility? Yeah. Um, we were considering it on our own. Um, eventually they did want us to be discharged. Uh, so I was trying to wrap my head around, okay, when I get home, which is still pretty close by, what am I going to do? <laughs> I, and my doula is like, just try and sleep in between the contractions. I know they're hard or, um, you know, try to find, get the rest you can get. Not in a hospital triage room was kind of where I was leaving. I was like, okay, I'm going to try and rest up because we don't know what's ahead. Yeah. And so mentally where, what was going on through your mind also in terms of or what you were you feeling of having been checked into and then maybe getting, you know, half a centimeter more and that, that yeah. you've been there for two weeks. Like did that, that those vaginal checks get in your head? Oh yes. It, it was so discouraging. And I remember um, my doula had even said, you know, you, you cannot get checked when you're in labor. And I was like, that's not me. Like I have to know what's going on. And now looking back, I understand why people would not want to get checked as often because it is such a mental game of like, 
I feel like I'm in labor. And then you're having somebody tell you, oh, no, your body's not. And so then I was like, well, I guess I'm not. But I wanted to trust that I was. And so it was just this like struggle of being disappointed by something that was, wasn't happening. Mm. Yeah. And I love that saying of your cervix is not a crystal ball. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is an example. Yeah. This is an example because also I I like to look at and I think people should look at the whole demeanor of the birthing person and what's going on and not just the the cervix cuz the cervix sometimes takes a little bit to catch up and also it's like the a lot of more things are going on with the uterus and things mm -hmm. aligning and baby's positioning and so we fixate on this number but it really doesn't mean much at all yeah yeah and even uh, i think at one point the nurse was just like uh not acting like things were happening which i guess in her eyes they weren't and my doula was like kristen next time she's in here you need to act this up like you're acting too calm for being in labor and I was like well this is just how I deal with pain <laughs> and she was like well it's still you know she just doesn't she's not taking us seriously um which I guess the nurse's eyes and yeah, nothing was happening so <laughs> right and then a she's in there for just a little bit of time so she's right, not with yes. you for a long time <laughs> and she hasn't had the benefit of being with you during your previous labor Right. As well, yes. which your doula had. Um, yeah. Yeah. So and we, we tried to explain, oh, that, you know, we had a VBAC. It was fast. We need, you know, kind of need to be here. But then it just didn't seem to phase her too. So. so were you feeling that things were moving along more than what your cervix was saying? Yes. I mean, after I, I guess at this point, it had been six hours since I had time contractions. And I was like, surely this is happening. Um, that's what I felt like, but you know, they were telling me otherwise. Mm. Let's take a break. And cause I have a feeling things are going to ramp up. So let's, yes. <laughs> let's take a break. When we come back, we'll see what happens. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. 
So to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. And we are back talking with Kristen Bolts about her second VBAC at this point. Um, yes. So you've been at the hospital now for about, what, like two hours, maybe? Yeah, two or three hours. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then what's going on? Um. So I've had contractions every three to five minutes, but no change in my cervix. It's still two. I think they gave me another half centimeter, two and a half centimeters, which I had been at two for two weeks anyways. And um, she, the nurse talked to the doctor on call and was came back finally after a long time and said that we're going to discharge you, that you can check with your doctor on Monday. And this was on a Saturday. And I was... Um, very discouraged. I was like, in two days, what? Um, and the doula is just trying to reassure me, well, you know, we can go home, you can rest. These contractions are either going to pick up and you're going to know the intensity is changing. Your water is going to break, which you're going to have to come back in because your group should be positive or they're going to dissipate. And this isn't really labor, even though we were all thinking that it was. And so the doula left to go home and my husband and I were waiting on the discharge papers. And, um, my husband could tell that I was just like falling asleep in between contractions. They were so intense when I was having them. And so he had me lay down on my side and I had closed my eyes and I think it'd been 30, 40 minutes since they were saying we were going to be discharged and hadn't come back yet. And my water broke. And we knew that was going to admit me because I was group strep B positive. And so he ran out to tell the nurse, we called our doula back and we just were like, okay, this is, this is actually going to happen. Um, this is what we thought all along anyways. And so, um, like my doula had told me, she said, once your water breaks, you are going to tell a difference in the intensity and the contractions, which I was, um, I have bad back labor. And so, um, when she arrived back, we set up this TENS unit, which helps, uh, dis- I guess it sends electricity through your back. It helps distract the pain that you're having. Mm-hmm. Um, had you tried it before with the other? Yeah. Um, I know for sure I had it with Rebecca, the other VBAC. And something about being able to control um, the TENS unit kind of helps me to manage the pain, um, and to kind of distract my mind. Uh-huh. So we set that up. We walked around. I think I went to the bathroom and I think just because I'd been in labor so long, which it hadn't really been that long, but nothing was happening for that long period of time. I was just discouraged and I was like, well, if this is how it's going to happen, then I want to have an epidural because, you know, we've already gone through six hours and I've maybe gained a half centimeter. Like how much longer is this going to take? Even though my water broke. Um, and I just, I think I was just giving into the pain of like, I have nothing to prove. I already did a natural VBAC. Um, I'm going to have an epidural. And I just made that up in my mind. And, um, once we got to the labor and delivery room, 
we kind of all just talked through it. Is this something you really want? And I was like, yes, I'm okay with it. Um, let's do it because it's, it's getting hard. And, um, they checked me just to make sure that I was progressing enough. And at that point I was four centimeters and they started the antibiotic as well for group strep B positive. Um, and so I remember the waiting time by the time they put the order in for that epidural and the contractions were picking up and, um, my doula was trying to really just encourage me, like, um, patting my hand saying, you know, relief is on the way you're going to get through this. Cause I, was ready to have it then. And there's still a time to, it has to be ordered. They have to bring it to you. Yeah. Um, and that's a great point. Do you, did you have to also get fluids before being able to get the epidural? Yes. I think they started that too. Yeah. Which is very common because one of the things that an epidural can do is bring your blood pressure down. So they mm-hmm. kind of pump you with fluids to try to help you know, shore that pressure, like make sure it doesn't go down that much. And sometimes it'll be that they need, well, in my neck of the woods, is you need two full bags of fluid before they start the epidural. And -hmm. just getting those in takes time, even if anesthesia was, you know, outside the door and ready, which they seldom are. (laughs) They're usually busy doing other things. So that's a great point to note that if you want the epidural and you don't are you haven't already been getting fluids yeah yeah there's going to be a waiting time yeah 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 and i don't remember the specifics of if i had one or two bags and how long that took but i do remember feeling like this is taking a long time <laughs> come on <laughs> um which it all came in its time and so yeah so i think when they checked me i was 4 centimeters and 90% of face in the zero station she had moved down some um and so the anesthesiologist came in about 7 a.m and i don't remember you know how long we had been in the room you know enough to get that fluids 20 30 minutes i don't know and um he explained the epidural i signed the paper um they set it all up on the cart and he said okay you gotta sit on the side of the bed with your back in a C shape, they took the monitors off of the baby and of me to put it in on the back. And so I sit on the side of the bed and I look at my doula and I said, you know, it just, something feels really intense pressure down there. And I had experienced natural feedback with Rebecca. And so I kind of knew "Mm, this is something doesn't feel right. And so, you know, before he could stick the needle in me, they checked again and they said, yeah, you're at 10 centimeters. She's at plus two station. It's time to go like push now. <laughs> and well, and you was... didn't really need to be told to push because if she was right. two stations and coming and all that change was happening, it's like, yeah, just get out of the way, people. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and that's what once they kind of the anesthesiologist kind of ran, ran out, people were running in. I was hyperventilating and my doula was saying even to me, like, it's okay, you can push. And I was like, really? Even though everything's not set up and it was, yeah, it was still okay to go with your body of like, this is happening. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was, you said around 7 a.m. Yeah. 
so then you've pretty much like in that 45 minutes hour that you were in the room, you went from four to yeah, I think, fully. Yeah, I think looking back, like the last time I was checked at four, we realized it was like 20 minutes later. And then they were like, it's your 10. It's time to push. Yeah. So see, there you go. <laughs> I love stories like this because it reinforces that concept of birth is not linear. It's not. No, because I'd waited, what, five, six hours at two, nothing happening. And then in 20 minutes, going from four to pushing and mentally thinking I was going to have an epidural. <laughs> and no, you're having a natural, which is what I wanted all along anyways. But it was just like, ah. This is so crazy. And sometimes you just need that letting go of, I am going to have the epidural. And so in your mind, your mind was now focused on something completely different, not the frustration of, I'm two, now I'm two and a half, this is taking forever, how long yeah. is it going to be, this is not working, like all that negativity or all that tightness, yeah. right? Yeah. You were like, oh, it's going to be fine. I'm just going to have the epidural. And your body's like, okay, now we can go. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. So, so anesthesia's leaving the room. Everybody's running in to get the cart set up and get you ready. And you are just going with your body, right? I'm trying to, but yeah, the body's going, my mind's trying to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Um, so you were sitting on the side of the bed. What position did you switch to? Uh, I think still just laying down. That's how I birthed um, both feedbacks, was pushing with my legs, um, holding back. Like on your side or on your back? On my back, on okay. my back, okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think it's... Uh, one thing in the chaos, they were trying to get the heart rate monitors back onto the baby to monitor her heart rate because um, it was actually through the contractions, she was dropping so fast. It was kind of dropping too, and they didn't realize because the monitors were off. So when they put them back on, that was kind of, they were trying to get them on right. Um, and so they gave me oxygen, I guess, to try and help the baby's heart rate increase. But at the time, I thought it was the nitric oxide because that's what I had with the first VBAC. Um, and so through the chaos, I didn't really know what was what was on my face. Um, but I think that my doula tried to get the nurse to get the nitric oxide to me, but it I guess it came to the room, but the doctor thought I was in the way and pushed it out. And I, I didn't know at the time what was going on either. Uh, you had something else going on. <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> uh, and yeah. So how did it happen? Yeah. So um, once her heart rate was dropping into the 60s, um, they, oh, they, they put a monitor on her scalp because they couldn't get a clear reading through the um, monitors on the belly. So that was one thing that they put in pretty quickly. And once it got to the 60s, um, even though her head was like some of the way out, um, they used the vacuum again to help push her out quicker so the heart rate wouldn't drop as bad. And um, 
I think my husband mentioned too, like during all this chaos of pushing, he tried to hold my hand and I didn't hold it back. And he told me this later. And I was like, I really had no idea. <laughs> Please don't take offense. Like I was just, you know, trying to figure out what was happening. I appreciate you being there <laughs> and encouraging me. Um, but yeah, so I think that's the only other things that they did. Um, she came out after a few pushes at about 7.18. She was the biggest of my three babies at 8.7, even though she was, what, two days early. Um, and um, I tore a level two with both feedback, so um, had to get some stitching there too. But just the experience of her coming out and coming straight to my chest um, is just moments that I'll cherish forever. I do feel like that's how God created the birthing process. And I'm so glad I got to experience it, that baby and I were both healthy both times around, um, that I got to cut the cord, that we got to just kind of hang out and realize, wow, this just happened in a peaceful environment to nurse her um, was totally different than a C-section and being in the recovery room and having to watch your baby be examined across the room while they finish sewing you up and um, just things like that. Which is, and we don't talk about it, but for the second one, the experience was similar too, right? Yeah. Um, Vacuum, tearing, but then her coming straight to my chest, um, getting to cut her cord, all those things were the same. And that's why I wanted to do it again um, since I had the opportunity. Mm Mm-hmm. So now that you've been through this, and I know you're not having any more kids, so yes. you're not doing it again. <laughs> yes, we're done. But yeah. Um, but how, looking back on it, how do you feel any different about your cesarean now that you have time to process it more? Yeah, I mean, I definitely believe that that was the only way um, Paige was going to come out, that I was going to be healthy, survive, you know, like, I don't know what happened in the old days, but if without that technology, you know, we don't know how it would have happened. And so I'm so thankful. Um, well, that and we then have... at that point, you probably wouldn't even like in the old days, you wouldn't have gotten, there wouldn't yeah. be the worry of your water broke. You got, let's get you in so we can have yeah. the antibiotics so we can have you Pitocin. Right. Things are protecting. <laughs> you have a deadline of 24 hours, like none yes. of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we you know she got stuck. And so, um, you know, would she have eventually come out? I don't know. But I now believe that that was the best thing to happen um, for her birth and having the, I guess it's kind of a redemption stories of the VBAC. Um, I don't hold as much regret or hard feelings towards having a cesarean, now having two VBACs, I feel like I've been able to experience birth in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm very thankful for that. And I really, truly believe that they're blessings and days that you will never forget the rest of your lives. Oh, for sure. Of course. Um, and then in terms of the, the VBACs, what was your favorite part? Was there something you would have done differently? How? Yeah, um, I think my favorite part is just the moment she's crying. You know, they pull her out 
and she's crying and you, you are the first one. I mean, I guess the doctor is, but the next one to hold her and to not let go. And I can still have those feelings and picture it of just the squishy newborn baby um, on my chest and in her goop and, you know, just, she's just, is here, right here on me. Um, I think that feeling I'll never forget. And so that's the reason, the motivation for the VBACs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that I would change anything. I would like to think that I would not get checked as much. Um, it, my personality, it's really hard not to be in control. Um, but I think this really opened my eyes to the fact that getting checked that often may not be beneficial. Um, and your cervix can be lying to you, <laughs> whether you're in labor or not. <laughs> that lying cervix. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we put a little too much stock on the cervix, I yes. think. And that's just yeah. like a medical perspective of it and not so if we look at physiology like you're describing to me physiology it just does its mm-hmm. thing your body just like yeah. when you digest you're not like how long has it been since i ate it's been three <laughs> right. hours where's my food at has it done you know it you just do it and it, you're yeah your body just does it yeah so i guess if they need to know they can check and not tell you <laughs> but maybe that's an option it is it is an option. Um, and for some people, it works great. For other people, it is uh, at the end of the day, it's more right. whatever works for you. Yeah. Um, it's more realizing, will it actually give you information that's helpful or, or will it hinder? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I am so super happy for you that you had Yay. these two V-backs and got Thank to... You go straight to holding your babies on your yes. chest. Um, is there anything else you wanted to make sure we mentioned that we hadn't gotten to? No, I think just um, speaking to other moms who are considering VBACs, you know, I want to encourage them and empower them that they can do it with the right community of um, whether it's their practice or doula you know, setting yourself up to try, um, I think is the main thing is just knowing, knowing that you're giving your body a chance to try at this, um, beautiful birthing experience, um, is just what I wanted to encourage other moms who are out there thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we need to hear more good VBAC stories. Yes. <laughs> so thank you for that. It was lovely talking to you today. You're welcome. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Oh, and here is what Kristen had for breakfast. Yeah, I had a shake um, with what bananas and spinach in it coffee. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2019 by Adriana Lozada.